How's everybody doing today? We good? Happy to be in the house of the Lord? Yeah. Should be some excitement in here this morning. So, um, I was born in 1973. Feel free to do the math. You guys remember the 70s and 80s? <laughs> Amen, he said. It was an entirely different era, wasn't it? Fashion was terrible. It was bad. Hey, listen, flock of seagulls, disco. It was scary. Music, well, let's just say every era has their best and their worst, right? But growing up at that time, child rearing was viewed much differently than it is now, I would say. And maybe it's that, uh, that Dr. Spock's fault. Or maybe we're getting smarter, better. But I definitely think we could steal some pages from our parents' books. Amen? Regardless, that isn't what's up for debate this morning. I, I just wanted to point out that the mindsets that we were instilled with 40 plus years ago are much different. I remember uh, things like children should be seen and not heard, right? And then one of my favorites was, wait till your father gets home. I remember those on my, on my tough days, we'll call them. I would hear the rumble of my father's car coming down the street and would be literally overcome by fear if I had a bad day. Anyone relate to that? Yeah? Oh, yeah. Okay. So truth be told, I didn't exactly have the most stable home, and I think I've shared that in my testimony at times, but, but that's irrelevant here. See, I knew my father loved me, and I was also well aware that he wasn't perfect. He showed his love his own way, the only way he knew how. And like most young boys, I did my best to see beyond the imperfections because he was my hero. <clears throat> but because of the way things played out, I really struggled to trust. Trust was something that I struggled with most of my life. And over the years, I even had counselors tell me that I had abandonment issues that were rooted in that lack of trust. My love for my father was genuine, but my obedience, when I did choose to obey, was, was more out of fear than trust. Pastor Brian spoke last week about repentance, repentance that leads to life, right? And as we know, the first steps, step towards a life in Christ is that one of repentance. You know, the first words we hear Jesus uh, say in Mark chapter 1, verse 15 is, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom is, of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So that's our first step, right? But what then? Where do we go from there? I think it's important. You know, it's great. We call everyone to repentance. Absolutely. But then where do we go from that moment, right? What does the rest of our lives look like? And so I submit to you that in order to follow Jesus, in order to move from repentance in that moment of justification to becoming his disciple, we need to begin to sincerely trust him. We know that according to Ephesians 2, faith is a gift from God. It's not something that we manifest ourselves. That's what it says, right? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Faith is the certainty of things hoped for. It's proof, evidence, assurance of things not yet seen. It's a belief. And sure, faith is active, but trust 
Trust is intentional. Trust is intentional. In order to follow Jesus, we have to trust him, right, church? I, I think of the man in, in Mark chapter 9, you know, where his son was possessed by demons. You know, and he, and he says to Jesus, you know, Jesus is like, do you think I can do this? Do you believe? He goes, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know, what I hear that man saying is, is a, it's a similar prayer that I've prayed over my life many times. You know, I believe you, God. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe the gospel. I believe you're the God of the Bible. My problem is, is I don't always trust that. Help me to trust that, that you're going to do what you say you're going to do, that you can do what you say you can do. Because, you know, it's funny. We, we forget all he's done sometimes. Amen? I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to trust you, God. Help me to trust you. It's on us to place our trust in him. And it's, as I said, one thing to have faith, but another thing altogether to remain faithful or abide in Christ, as the scriptures say. See, to remain faithful means we've chosen to put our trust in God and we're committing ourselves to living faithfully for him. And so that's where the, the title of my message comes in. Trust changes things. Trust changes things. Let's pray before I go any further. Father, I'm just so grateful to be here amongst your people today, Lord. Privileged and honored to just share your word, to be your mouthpiece. I pray, Father, that I don't get in the way of that, Lord, that you wouldn't allow me, Lord, to, to mess anything up, that anything that you need to say to your people here this morning. So beautiful to worship you in spirit and truth and in all languages, God, because, Father, you're the same in every language. As Ruth said, every, every tongue shall confess. Every knee shall bow. So Lord, we bow down to you now, Lord. Have your way. You are the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings. And Father, you can do anything. So we are asking you now to help our unbelief. Help us, Father, to trust you more. Help us to be intentional in that trust. Help us to apply what we know in faith to our lives so that, Lord, we can become the men and women, the church that you've called us to be, Father. Have your way in this message in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Genesis chapters 12 through 50, we see the story of Abraham and his family, right? And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all those chapters. But I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version, okay? So we see that Abraham was born around 2000 BC as Abram, right? He lived to the ripe old age of 362. God changed his name after making a covenant with him and promising to make him the father of many nations. And he was a righteous man with wholehearted commitment to God, a man of peace, a man of compassion. Abraham was both a man of great spiritual depth and strength, but he was also a person with common human weaknesses and needs, just like us, just like us. See, he fathered the Jewish people, and through his son Isaac would come the 12 tribes of Israel. Abraham had a wife named Sarah, formerly Sarai, and it is said that because they became God's chosen people through his covenant with him that day, he added the A-H-A to their names, which means breath in Hebrew, and it's part of God's name, Yahweh. This, this happens in Genesis 17 when God makes this covenant with Abraham and promises to give he and Sarah a son. 
Abraham literally means father of a multitude of nations. And Sarah literally means princess or princess of multitude. Fitting. God is very intentional. He is very literal. And so sometimes we just need to look right before our very eyes to see exactly what he's saying or doing. So this was after they were unable to have a child together. So Sarah went to Abraham to conceive a child with her servant Hagar, who's now known her son as Ishmael. And through Isaac, the nation of Israel would be born, as I said, but through Ishmael, the nation of Islam would be born. And it's funny because the Lord says in Genesis 16 of Ishmael, he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. You know, there's this prophetic, already this prophetic word from God that the the nation of Islam is going to be at odds with the nation of Isaac, with God's people, the Jewish and Christian people. It's also worth mentioning that Abraham is now 99 years old when he gets this promise from God. And Sarah's 90, perfect childbearing age, right ladies? And so that's a little background on who Abraham and Sarah were. Now there's a lot more to their story. But I want to focus specifically on the part of their story that's been recorded in Genesis 21 and 22. You know, there's this verse that, that highlights it all. And it's the first verse, and it's the second part of the first verse in Genesis 21. And it says, the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. The Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. You know, that's who our God is. You know, you you see how they messed up with Hagar, and you see how they did all these. It doesn't matter. The Lord kept his promise. He did. And that's what he does. Trust changes things. I want us to realize that today. Because Sarah... And Abraham, they trusted the Lord, and it changed their lives. So through Abraham and Sarah, let's look at what it means to trust God fully, regardless of what we see. Let's look at, it, look at what it means to walk by faith and not by sight, as the scriptures also say. I'm going to go to actually uh, chapter 22 first. There's a method to my madness, so just bear with me. <clears throat> And let's just read together verses 1 through 10. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. And so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. I just want to pause for a second there. Right, this is the promised son. Abraham's 100 years old. Sarah's psyched. She finally got her boy, right? All this trust, all this obedience, and then all of a sudden, God's testing Abraham. And, and, and what I notice when I read this is right after verse 2, there's no like, well, Abraham said, but God, why? But God, you promised. It just says, Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, and he did as he was told. He trusted God. He was obedient to God. And so on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his, his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and, then, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. 
and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so the two of them walked together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, My father, here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? This is that awkward moment, right? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so the two of them walked on together. And then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I'm going to stop there for a moment. You know, I'm just trying to, I always, you know, we should always put ourselves into these stories to some degree, right? To understand what's going on in that moment. Because they're real. You know, this isn't some fiction where we we look at it and we say, wow, that's crazy. Like, I want you to think about this. Abraham's with his son, whom God had promised. And they're, they're going off into Moriah. And, you know, Isaac is probably like, cool, I get to hang out with my dad today. Right? And Abraham, in the back of his mind, knows what's, what he's about to do, what he's been commanded to do. And so, you know, as they're walking, it gets even more weird as, as you know, Isaac starts to realize, wait, there's no sacrifice here. What's going on? And then Abraham actually puts him on the altar and binds him up. Just a strange situation altogether, one that we can't imagine, right? I mean, how many people in here have children? Just raise your hand if you have kids. Wow. Right? Raise your hands if you like them. All right, good. That was a test. That was a test. Yeah, there was some hesitation. A couple of you were like, I guess everybody else is raising their hand. I might as well. I got teenagers. (laughs) So, on all seriousness, I, I asked these questions recently on a Wednesday night while I was trying to paint a picture of God's love for us and how we ought to love him in light of that. You know, there were people in that room that night who are here today as well who had lost children. And it changed the face of the discussion as one person shared it was his deceased son's birthday that night. As you can imagine, a quiet fell over the room as we all reflected for a moment. I didn't try to exploit that moment for the sake of the lesson I mean, I could have drawn some parallels and illustrations from that. But I knew God was in that moment, and it all happened for a reason. So I allowed him to minister. It's something I can't understand, and I pray I never do. See, losing a child is probably one of the most difficult things anyone can imagine or endure. Amen? And for those of you who have, my heart goes out to you. We feel for you, and we're here for you. And I know that 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 pain never really dies. It's just something you learn to survive with. And so if we look at that, the seriousness of that, the heaviness and grief gives us an idea of what Abraham was going through as he trusted God and followed through with God's plan in that moment. Not only was he about to lose his promised son, but he was to be the one who would put an end to his life. So imagine what might have been going through his mind as he just wrestled with these things. 
This also is a great lesson for parents and how we need to trust God with our children's lives. Amen? We can only do our best to love and raise them, but ultimately their lives and eternities are in God's capable hands. They're in God's capable hands. You know, it's, it's tough. You love your kids so much, and you want them to make all the right decisions. You want them to follow Jesus. You want them to be good men and women. And we, we sometimes are overbearing because of that. We push too hard sometimes. But what we need to do as stewards over their lives is we need to love them radically the way Jesus loves us. We need to show them who Jesus is by the way we love them. And then we need to trust God with their lives. Who needed to be reminded of that today? We need to remember they're not ours. They're his. Has anyone here ever been in a situation where you knew that being obedient to God and trusting him in a situation was going to be extremely challenging, really tough? Our default nature is to take the easy road, right? Try to fix it, right? We get on the phone or we make a call and, and ask for a favor or, or we go to a friend or we, whatever it is, borrow money, whatever it is. We try to fix things when they get really challenging. We tend to seek comfort and avoid the difficulty. But if you read the Bible at all, you see that time and time again, God allowed, created, or used the most challenging and even painful things in people's lives to carry out his will. The most painful things, the most challenging things, over and over again, not just here with Abraham, not just, it's throughout the Bible from the very beginning. It's sad, but that's typically the things we need to see and hear or be part of or experience. Because of our sin nature, because of the way we are. So God has to do something radical to get our attention. He prescribes a certain amount of grace that we need specifically. His will for us individually is to become just like Jesus. That's his desire for each and every one of us. To become his image bearers, cross bearers. People who have died for their, from their former selves and abandoned their old lives in order to follow Jesus and make his name known. That's what he wants for us. He doesn't want to grant our every wish. What he wants is for us to become so much like Christ that his light shines so bright wherever we are. Whatever community we're part of, wherever we live, wherever we work, so that he would be glorified and he would be known. That's his purpose for us. It's important that we understand that it wasn't sac the sacrifice of Isaac that God desired in that moment, but it was the heart of Abraham that trusted and obeyed him. That's what he was looking for. The chapter title of my Bible in Genesis 22 is, is Abraham tested, it says. Right? Abraham tested. God wanted to test Abraham's faith. He wanted to test his heart. We don't often think of it like that, right? We look at tests sometimes in our lives. It's like, oh, I, I might lose my job. Oh, you know, gas prices just went up. I'm already strapped financially. And don't get me wrong. I understand and I'm compassionate and I'm right there with you. But the reality is, is that this is nothing compared to the challenges that we need to endure 
or glorify God through to become the men and the women that he's called us to be. So in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, it says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Obedience is better than sacrifice, a listening ear than the fat of rams. You know, we often think that God wants us to be good religious people. Right? So we cross our T's and dot our I's. We show up every week and we go to our studies and we serve and we give. And we do everything that we think we're supposed to do, but for some reason, our hearts still aren't right. Right? How many times have you been so committed to all the religious things, and I use that term loosely, to show up, to be there, to say the right things, do the right things, but you felt so disconnected from God because your heart wasn't in it. Because your heart, God doesn't want just those things. Those things are an outpouring, James says in chapter 2, right? Those things are a result of our faith. They are not what causes us to be right with God. And so our job is just to live in that trust. Because obedience is better than sacrifice, according to him. In Psalm 51, and Pastor Brian read the whole psalm last week, and it's just crazy what God keeps doing you know, if you were on Wednesday night that week before, you would have heard I shared from the same portions of Scripture he preached from in the same psalm to close the service, and yet we don't share notes. The Holy Spirit is at work, not us. Like he said, it doesn't matter how well we preach. It doesn't matter how articulate we are or charismatic. It doesn't mean anything unless the Holy Spirit is at the helm, unless God is leading the charge. And so we need to take heed of that, that God is here, God is moving and so let's pay attention to that. In Psalm 51, verses 16 through 17, it says, You do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I'd give it. You know, David knew. He messed up. He messed up, and here he is repenting. He's like, you don't, you, don't just, you don't just desire my sacrifice. You don't want me to just give you a burnt offering. You don't want me to just show up for church and say or do the right things. Right? He says, you don't take pleasure in burnt offering. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, of these things you will not despise. It's a heart matter. David knows this. David knows this. He knows that if our hearts are right and we're right with God, then everything else is going to work out. Yeah, you'll end up being at church every week. Yeah, you'll end up being in your Bible studies. Yes, you'll end up serving. Yes, you'll get connected. But it'll be for the right reasons. It'll be with the right view, the trust and love that you have for the Lord. See, this condition, it begins with the heart, it continues with the heart, it's perfected in the heart, and it's not through dogmatic religion or tradition. Amen? Amen. Trust changes things. Trust changes things. It draws us out of religion and this dogma into a love relationship with our Savior. It creates intimacy, right? It creates relationship. That's what trust does. And when our hearts are full of trust, everything else just works. So now I want to look at trusting God, how it results in obedience. See, that word obedience has been tainted a little bit, hasn't it? And the reason for that is us. Right? Because we're disobedient by nature. 
right? So when we say obey, we get all prideful and we get all defensive and we go, you know, I got this. I don't need to obey anybody. I don't need to submit myself to anybody. I got this. I'm grown. (laughs) But the reality is, is we mistake obedience all the time. I'm sorry. We often mistake the obedience that God calls us to as religious legalism that is often pushed in various churches and denominations. It happens throughout Christianity. We mistake obedience as legalism. We turn it into that. A set of rules, man-made rules, that are governed by men that we believe we need to follow. And then it just becomes cold and dead. And I don't want us to associate that word with legalism anymore, obedience. I want to deprogram you today. I want you to to start really looking at what it is. Remember what I said about fear of my father as a child? The limited obedience I showed to my earthly father wasn't built on trust. It was all out of fear, and it was an unhealthy fear. It was an unhealthy fear. It was born in sin. And so don't get me wrong. A healthy fear of God is important, and according to Scripture, it's the beginning of all wisdom for us as a people. But without love, that fear only creates cold, legalistic, religious people just like the ones that Jesus cursed. Just like those Pharisees and religious people that Jesus said, woe to you. You you know, you you strain out gnats and you choke on camels. You minor on the majors, majors on the minors. You're whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside. You're dead on the inside. You have big hats and beautiful robes. But guess what? That means absolutely nothing. You're all religion and no heart. And that's not what God calls us to. He's calling us into this trust, this love relationship with him. And what will spawn from that will be obedience. Fear can steal us right out of religion, can't it? Think about this for a second. Remember Peter on the night he was arrested? On the night Jesus was arrested? Right? It was was an ungodly fear that Peter had at that time. You know, he had been walking with Jesus. He had witnessed so much. He loved Jesus. It was his best friend at that point, right? But what happened? You know, right after Peter got done saying, not, not long before that, hey, I'll go with you right to the grave. I'm with you, Jesus, to the end. You can't get rid of me. I'm your boy. I got your back. And then as soon as Jesus gets arrested, as soon as he's facing the darkest time of his life, they go, hey, weren't you you part of his crew? Aren't you friends of his? Oh, I don't know that guy. Out of fear, ungodly fear, unhealthy fear, what what happens is Peter just denies himself and pulls away from Christ. Pulls away from Christ. And what that shows us is that he doesn't fully trust him. Right? It doesn't fully trust him. What happens when Christ is resurrected, though? What happens when he shows up back on the scene and he finds Peter? And I love it when he says, you know, go tell the disciples and Peter to meet me. Go tell the disciples and Peter to meet me. He singles Peter out. He wants Peter to know, I'm coming for you. (laughs) You're still mine. You can't get rid of me that easily. You know, and what does he do? He doesn't say, hey, Peter, will you obey me? He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't ask him, hey, Peter, will you be obedient from now on? He says, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? He asks him that three times. Do you love me, Peter? You do? Well, now go feed my sheep. 
Because now Peter's seeing him. He's being restored by him. Even after Peter turned on him, what, what ends up happening is, is Jesus comes back for him, specifically for him, and he says, do you love me? Because I'm going to use you. I've got a ministry for you. I've got a purpose for you. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter. Because if you can see now and you trust now and you love me now, now I can use you. And that's what it's like for us too, isn't it? Do you love him? Do you love him? Do you trust him? Because that's where it all begins. We don't fall in love with someone we don't trust. We may think we do. That's lust. That's attraction. It's different. Love wins church. A love that's built on trust. Amen? So let's look at Abraham's belief and how it translated to trust. Right? Not only did he believe God would do what he said he would do, but he trusted that it would happen. See, that's the difference. It's not just theory anymore. He had seen God's hand move in his life repeatedly. How could he not trust him? Over and over again. God had come through. God had carried him. God had made a way when there was no way. Right? Anyone else relate to that? Right? There's a room full of us, isn't there? God made a way for us when there was no way. And we often forget that, don't we? Abraham didn't in this situation. See, Abraham's love for God grew, and as it did, so did his trust, and vice versa. It's amazing how that happens. As his trust grew, so did his obedience. As his trust grew, so did his obedience. I want you to think about that for a second. Simple statement. But we start to become more obedient when we start to trust that God not only is who he says he is, but he will do what he says he's going to do. You know, John 14, verse 15, I love when Jesus says this. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He doesn't just say, keep my commandments. He's God. He can. He could look at you and say, keep my commandments or else. <laughs> but that's not how Jesus rolls. Jesus says, if you love me, the proof of that love, the proof of that trust is going to be that you keep your command my commandments in your life. That's how I know. And he even says in John 13, 35, he says, he says, they'll know who you are by the way you love. They'll know you're my disciples. They'll know you follow me because of the way you live and because of the way you love. Love will be the indicator. Love will be the indicator. And that love is built on what? Trust. We trust him as our savior. See, true love breeds trust, which breeds obedience by default. So we don't teach or preach legalism here. You'll never hear that from this pulpit. And if you do, I'll tackle the person. <laughs> Just kidding. He's a lot bigger than me. But what we do here is, is we love people back to life. You'll hear that over and over again. And we do our best to lead you into a deeper, more meaningful love relationship with Jesus. Because we know that that's the answer. That was what was done for us. You know, nobody debated with us and argued us into the kingdom of God. Nobody kicked us while we were down and out and hopeless and helpless. What they did was they loved us. They loved us back to life. And that's why we're even here. This, our lives now are lives of worship. It's giving back in gratitude what was given to us so freely. You know, I, I just, as we're singing that song, it says, you know, and I wrote it down. I don't have a context for that kind of love. I don't have a context. I shared with you how I grew up a little, you know. I, I didn't have a context for that kind of love. A love that, like, no matter how screwed up I was, no matter how much I messed up, 
come to the Father again and again. Right? This grace and this mercy that wasn't being, nothing was being held over my head. I didn't hear you're a loser anymore. You'll never do it. You'll never be good enough. You're throwing away your life. You're a waste. You don't hear that from Christ, do you? I hear you're more than conquerors. I hear that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I hear that I'm a new creation, not the old one. And so that's what, what I hear now. That's the voice in my life. God's been faithful, hasn't he, church? He's come through time and time again, even when things seemed hopeless. And that means we can trust him. I think we all know we can trust him, but that knowledge must, for each of us, become practice if we want to honor God and live a life that pleases him. It has to. Whenever I see someone so buried in worship, so buried in service, in, in their commitment to God, it's never because they're religious. It's never because, you know, they're a Sunday morning Christian who's living in all the traditions their parents taught them. It's never that. It's because they're in love. It's because they love Jesus. It's, they're in love with their Savior. They've learned that they can trust God and have surrendered themselves to that fact. And you know what I'm talking about. You know those people that are all around you. They don't just put on a good face for Sunday. They don't just say the right things or post the right things on social media. They live it out. And if you ask their spouse or their kids or their friends or their family, they're going to tell you, he's the real deal. She's really that. She loves Jesus more than anything and above all things. And that's where worship becomes so pure and so genuine and lives are transformed radically. Radically. Trust changes things. It really does. So I wanna, I'm going to just stumble onto my last point here. That trusting God has its rewards. Trusting God. We don't do it for the reward. But it does have its rewards. So let's go back to chapter 21 in the first three verses. And I just want to look at God's faithfulness. It says, Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time. Key word. Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham excuse me, called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Right? I can really relate to Abraham. You too? <laughs> I read this at the beginning. The Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah wanted a child more than anything. Right? She even messed up. And then when she messed up, she was hurt by the fact that even though it was her idea, Abraham was able to conceive with her servant, Hagar. Right? I want to share briefly on this point. 
my wife and I, and she might punch me for this later. When I met her, it was over coffee. That was my thing. I, I, I'm not going to take you out for dinner or a movie or anything like that because that's too long and expensive. And if we don't like each other, then we can just suck down the coffee and walk away. <laughs> and I was leery. I was leery. I'm not going to lie. I had messed up my whole life. I was terrible at, at, at this whole thing with relationship. I, I, was, I didn't even think I was capable of loving the right way. I was, I was screwed up. So I had spent that whole year, year and a half, just trying to become the man that my future wife deserved if that were to happen. That's all I cared about. I didn't want to do again to what I already had done to somebody else. And so when I met Stacy, I was a prize. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Making sure you're paying attention. I'm nine and a half years older than my wife, kind of like Abraham and Sarah. I'm an old dad, just like Abraham. <laughs> Not for a second did I picture myself pushing 50 with a two-year-old. Wow. Not for a second. Never did I imagine. I can remember when we first got, I, I mean, so this is what happens. We start having coffee. She's at, a, at like a crossroads in her life, big turning point. I just got home from Teen Challenge like a few months prior. I mean, I'm just like on fire for Jesus, and I'm super transparent and vulnerable. She's super transparent and vulnerable. We cry, we pray, we talk about Jesus. A, a, a cup of coffee lasted seven hours, right? Was it seven hours? It was insane. And, and, and we fell in love in our first conversation. It was unbelievable. Like, I knew in that conversation, I'm going to marry this girl. And I even said to her, and I don't think anyone ever said this to you on a first date or a first coffee, <laughs> You know, if you ever, if we get married, <laughs> I said, and you ever come between me and Jesus, then I choose Jesus. And she said, I love that. And that was it. And so she told me in that conversation how badly she wanted a family. And I knew she always wanted to be a mom. That was like her thing. And, and she like really wanted to be a mom. I was already a dad. Right, but it's not the same thing. She hadn't mothered her own. And so my position on that was, is I would love to have a family with you if God wills, but I hope it's soon. <laughs> and God has a sense of humor. Seven years. Seven years we tried. Seven years we were told it can't happen. Seven years. And, and for me, it was like, I'm just looking at myself in the mirror, getting older, the laugh lines, the crow's feet, you know, starting to show up a little more. The gray's starting to come in my beard a little bit, and she's still young and beautiful, and I'm like, oh, no. And she, you know, I'm starting to think, I'm going to be this old dad. How am I going to raise an infant, a toddler? I'm going to be that old guy at the graduation, you know, with the cane. And they're going to be like, oh, is that your grandson? No. This isn't really a comedy show, by the way. This is my life. <laughs> but it was very real, and I'm going to tell you one of the most beautiful things that I watched. I'm not doing it, Brian. I watched my wife be patiently faithful for seven years. I, like, she was convinced 
like God put this on my heart. I want a child so badly. There's no way that this is from me. Like, like God's going to give us a child. And I remember going to doctors and everything, and they were like, well, you might have a 10% chance if we do this procedure. Patiently faithful and beautiful, gracious, carrying herself. Well, her friends were getting, you know, that she worked with, getting pregnant by accident. Right? How hard is that? And they're like, oh. She, she kept her head up. You know, I just want to go back to what he said. At the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. At the appointed time. Now, I don't think that 12 tribes will be born out of Ashton, my two-year-old maniac. But you never know, right? But there's a purpose for his life, just like the rest of you. And so that was the appointed time for him to come into our life. And after seven years of prayer and trust and just praising Jesus and giving our lives to him, I'll never forget in that January when, when she called me and I was standing in line at the coffee shop waiting to meet the chief of police and she said, I'm pregnant. And I started to cry my eyes out. And the cashier looked at me and said, are you all right, sir? And I said, and I just ran to my car. And then I called you and cried to you. God is faithful, church. God is faithful. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that if you just keep trusting God and praying for that thing you want, that he's going to give it to you. That's not what this message is today. So please don't hear that at all. Right? It was clearly God's will to give Isaac to Abraham and Sarah because the 12 tribes of God's people would come from them. And so because Sarah's desire that he had placed in her heart aligned with his will, it came to pass at the appointed time. That's how this works. That's how this works, church. It's not this name it, claim it thing. Our God is not a genie in a bottle. He deserves way more reverence than that. Our God is the sovereign God and the creator of all things, and he has a plan, and we're all part of it. We're all we have that privilege of actually knowing him and being part of this plan that is so much greater than us. That's who our God is. And so if we bow down to that, if we bow down to his will for our lives, then guess what? Good things will happen. And there's some of us here today who have things in our lives that we desperately want. There are, right? And I want you to just think about those things for a moment. You might desperately want something so bad, and it might have been decades that you've wanted these things, or it could just be something that just happened or is going to happen in your life. And these might be good things that you want, these results. Things that might make life better for those involved, just like Sarah. But unless we trust God with these circumstances and the end result, then we're missing the broader point. We're missing the bigger picture. We may not get exactly what we hope for and pray for. And I don't, again, want to paint that picture. But we will get what we need. We will get what God wills. Because God is faithful, church. And he rewards his faithful. Amen? Romans 8, chapter 28, uh, chapter 8, verses 28 through 29. We love to pull this verse out of scripture. We love to to say, oh, we know God's going to work all things out for good. 
right? And anytime something bad happens, we whip that out and we say, don't worry. But then what we do is, is we, insert, we, 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 we insert our good into that passage. So it's like, oh, God, don't worry. You lost your job. God's going to work all things out for good. There's going to be a better job for you. What if there isn't? What do we tell that person? They didn't have enough faith? What do we tell that person? That God doesn't care about him or them or their families? Of course not. What about faithful endurance? What about God, as I said? And here it is. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There's your good. There's your good. Your good isn't the job. It isn't the relationship. It isn't the child. It isn't all these things that we hope and pray for. It's becoming like Christ. And when he deprives us sometimes of those things that we want, it's because he's building that character in us. He's making us like Jesus if we put our trust in him. If we put our trust in him. So Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 it says, For I am confident of this very thing, Paul says, that he who began a good work among you will complete it. He's going to complete it and he's going to use all the tools in his shed. And sometimes they hurt. I hate to tell you that. But who grows in comfort? Anybody? Not me. That's our sin nature again. It's not God's fault. It's our fault. So what God does is because he loves us so much, the way we are, he, does, he refuses to leave us there. So what he does is he puts us in situation. He, prescri he prescribes us specific grace. So that way, we will become what we need to become. That's the sanctification process. That is the good work he started in us that will be completed, it says. Our job is to trust him because trust changes things. So I want to go back to Genesis chapter 22, and I just want to read verses 11 through 18. And I just want you to remember, I'm picking up now where Abraham is standing over his bound up son on the altar, and he's got the knife in his hand, and he's ready to sacrifice him. And it says, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do, not, do nothing to him. I know that you fear God, and since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me, then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for the ram, I'm sorry, offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you. And I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies." In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Man. As I said, what we need and want are two different things. God promised Abraham and Sarah a son, and he kept that promise. And the gospel promises us some things, doesn't it? 
It promises us some things. And so our job, just like Sarah and Abraham, is to trust God to receive those things. And you know what those things are? Forgiveness, deliverance, power, restoration, transformation, reconciliation, and an abundant life in Jesus. Those are our promises. Those are our promises. And God is faithful. He will keep his promises. Amen? Hallelujah is right. Praise him for that. Today, today, right now, we can come to Jesus and receive those promises. Right? Some of us already know him. Some of us, we've already entered into that relationship with him. Some of us are already sealed with the Holy Spirit. But there are others of us who haven't. Some of us need to come and trust him today. We need to throw ourselves down. We need to grab onto the horns of the altar. Right? What we need to do is surrender our lives and surrender everything that we're still holding on to that's sort of distracting us from him. The blockers, as I call them. And some of us just need to come to know him. Repent and believe. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And as they do, I want you to just take a moment right here and right now and I want you to just think about the things in your life that you haven't trusted or entrusted to God. I want you to think about the things that you think that you have to control or fix or do. I want you to remember that God is sovereign and he's faithful. And so our job is to just trust and obey him. And not because we're religious, not because we want other people to see how good we are, not because of anything other than we love him. That's where that obedience is spawned from, as I said. It's an overflow of a love relationship with Jesus. I want you to raise a banner today. Raise a banner today. Just like Abraham did on that mountain. God, the provider. God whom I can trust. God who loves me. God who is sovereign. The God who saves. The God who rescues. The God who gives hope. That's our banners. And we want to raise those up today. Amen? Some of us need to come up and we need to go to the altar and we need to just lay it all at his feet. There's, there's something beautiful and powerful about that, isn't there? You know, when you're just on your knees and you're just bowed down before him, not caring about anything else, and there's a significance to the, to the act of doing it. It's a sign of surrender. And so our prayer team will be up here, and if you want to do that, you want to take some time, these altars are open. I encourage you to do that. Today's the day, you know. Today's the day. You take that next step. Today's the day you put your trust, your full trust in the Lord God Almighty. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He will make your path straight. Are you on a crooked path today? Do you find that this path you're on is hard to stay on? I can tell you why. I can tell you it's because you haven't trusted in the Lord with all your heart. That's what it is. We need to let go of those trust issues. We can trust our God. And so today is the day. The next step after repentance is to put our trust and allow him to have his way. You know why? Because trust changes things, church.
Come pray.